good morning. Are on here? Um, just uh, one, one more. Uh, I'll, <coughs> I'll, I'll take the liberty of uh, being the guy up in front with a microphone to ask for your prayers uh, for two things. One is, um, as most of you know, I'm about seven and a half weeks out of uh, knee surgery, looking forward with eager anticipation to uh, in uh, two and a half weeks or so when they start uh, me on physical therapy, uh, which is going to be delightful. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically trying to be responsible in allowing myself time to heal and to rest and also get done the things that need to get done, which, as it turns out, uh, are quite a lot of them right now as we're preparing to transition in a whole bunch of different ways. So uh, I would be grateful, for, and, and I, I'm so, I so appreciate all of your prayers for me in this recovery. Specifically right now, I'd be grateful for your prayers for wisdom and discernment and uh, discipline to do the things I ought to do and to not do the things I ought not to do. Um, in particular, I'm going to be heading off this afternoon uh, on a retreat with um, uh, some uh, colleagues in the Episcopal Church, and uh, I would specifically ask your prayers over the next couple of days, as, as usually is my prayer when I go to events like this, that I not say anything stupid, um, and, uh, and also that I, would, uh, that I would not overdo it there, too. So... Um, With regard to this move, um, we're about to have, I think, massive controversy in our church. Um, usually this happens in churches when you change the carpet, and there's arguments about what color it ought to be. Uh, we're going to be changing our service time once we move to Catonsville. Uh, there will be two main services. One will be ours, and one will be the service of the Episcopal Church that I'll be planting down there. Uh, one of those will be at 9.30, and the other will be at 11 o'clock. And we had a really entertaining conversation at our elder meeting Monday night uh, when uh, one group of people said, well, obviously everybody wants it to be at 11. And another group said, well, obviously everybody wants it to be 9.30. <clears throat> so to, uh, to resolve this matter, uh, I have, and BJ, you'll be proud of me, I've created a Google form. Um, and I've sent the link out on E New Hope. If you're not on E New Hope, just go on, the, on our front page of our website. There's a little link in the corner that says sign up for E New Hope. Uh, and uh, if you have any difficulty with that, just send me an email I, and I can put you on. Uh, we ask that you not um, go Chicago style and stuff the ballot box. Uh, one, uh, one response per household, please. Uh, but uh, the, the bishop said to us uh, we would get to pick what time we met, and I'm holding him to that. Uh, so please, uh, please uh, be in prayer about that and then, uh, and then vote. So Hosea, we're in our series this fall in the book of Hosea. We read in the beginning that the word of Yahweh came to Hosea, son of Be'eri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. As you remember from last week, we ran over a good bit of history, and the reason we went over a good bit of history is that Hosea is a real guy who is talking to real people in the context of real events. The reason that the, uh, uh, the book starts this way is, is not to do some name dropping. The reason the book starts this way is to situate Hosea's prophecy in a particular historical context. 
And then we read in verse 2, When Yahweh began to speak through Hosea, Yahweh said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from Yahweh. The prophets were real people, and prophets were people who really had it tough sometimes. I mean, this is the beginning of our book of Hosea. This is the beginning of Hosea's prophetic ministry. When Yahweh began to speak through him, what did Yahweh say to him? Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from Yahweh. Now, next week we're going to talk about what this actually involved, uh, likely for Hosea and why. But today I want to talk about what it is to be a prophet. Prophets are people through whom God spoke. We say when we, when we uh, receive communion and we stand up and say the Nicene Creed together, he has spoken through the prophets, that the Holy Spirit has spoken through his prophets. We read in, in uh, Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 2 that we're no longer foreigners and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with God's people and we're members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there, Paul is establishing the church as resting on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the apostles are sort of the the New Testament equivalent of prophets, they have much the same role. Paul talks in his letter to the Corinthians, his first one that we have, about what it's like to have that apostolic or that prophetic ministry. He says in chapter 2 that we speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. And there when Paul says us, he's talking about those who have his unique apostolic ministry of revealing people through whom God is revealing what had been kept hidden. He says, the Spirit searches all things, even the the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We haven't received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God in order that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself 
is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's a bold statement, isn't it? For somebody to say, we have the mind of Christ. We are revealing what was once hidden. God is speaking through us. And it's something that apostles and prophets didn't take lightly, and it's something that apostles and prophets didn't always find pleasant. Prophets are let in on the divine life. They're let in on the internal life of God in a different way from the rest of us. They know him, in a sense, more, know God more intimately and from the inside than we do. We'll, we'll have quotes every week here, by the way, from Abraham Joshua Heschel, the brilliant Jewish philosopher. He said in his book on the prophets that the prophet is a person, not a microphone. He's endowed with a mission, with the power of a word not his own. That is what accounts for his greatness. But also with temperament, with concern, character, and individuality. As there was no resisting the impact of divine inspiration, so at times there was no resisting the vortex of his own temperament. The word of God reverberated in the voice of man. And we should be clear that this is not uh, dictation. A prophet is not somebody who sat there and wrote down each word that God gave him. Uh, that's, frankly, no prophet could sit that long to write the longer prophetic books. Uh, but uh, the, the, the relationship between the prophet and God, the, between the prophet and the spirit of God who's inspiring him is a dynamic one. And again, we would say, well, how can we be sure that this is really a prophet? How can we be sure, Paul, that you're not just blowing smoke? How can we be sure that you have this true apostolic gifting and mission and you're not just saying what you want to say? Well, we get some tests in, in Torah, in Deuteronomy. We read in chapter 18, starting in verse 14, Moses the prophet, says, the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not permitted you to do so. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, and you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of Yahweh your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of Yahweh your God, nor see this great fire any more or we will die. We have this authentic plea of the people saying, spare us this too intimate, too difficult, too close exposure to the divine voice. We need somebody to interpret. We need somebody to bring that to us. And so Yahweh said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I haven't commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. So the first test of whether a prophet is a true prophet is whether he is faithful to Yahweh and whether or not he is leading people into idolatry, 
into the worship of other gods. You may say to yourselves, well, how do we know when a message hasn't been spoken by Yahweh? Well, if a prophet proclaims in the name of Yahweh, if what he proclaims doesn't take place or come true, then that's a message that Yahweh hasn't spoken, kind of a duh, right? That prophet has spoken presumptuously. He said something was going to happen, it didn't happen. He said, God says this is going to happen, it doesn't happen. Obviously, God didn't say that. Don't be afraid of him. (laughs) I love that little throwaway line. Don't be afraid of him. Because, yes, it, it is possible for people to be presumptuous and to think that they have this unique ministry, this unique anointing. And bless you, we read plenty of places, in fact, in, in the Old Testament of false prophets, and we read in the New Testament of false apostles. I mean, Paul says something very similar to this when he says, if anybody comes to you preaching any gospel other than the one that I brought you, then let him be eternally condemned. Let him be anathema. The very first test of a prophet is whether what he is saying is orthodox, is in leading toward the worship of the one true God. And if it's not, if it's leading elsewhere, then you know it's false. The second test is if, it, if he says something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, then you know that he's just making stuff up and you shouldn't be afraid of him. Implicitly, I think you're allowed to laugh at him. But then if you look back in chapter 13, Moses says, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he's spoken takes place. So here he said, this is going to happen, and it does. But then he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. Then you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Yahweh your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart. And with all your soul, it's Yahweh your God you must follow, and it's him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death, because he preached rebellion against Yahweh your God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He's tried to turn you from the way Yahweh your God commanded you to follow. You must purge that evil from among you. See, there are always charismatic figures. There are always people who seem to have that special something. But if they're all hat and no cattle, as they say, then you know that, that they're not the real thing. But if they, in fact, do seem to show some results of what they're saying, but if they're leading you astray, if they're leading you to worship false gods, Moses says, they're not legit. And we can't have that. That is why we take the high view of Scripture that we do. That is why we regard this word as, as Paul describes in 2 Timothy, God-breathed, theopneustos. This word is God-breathed. And in particular, it is... God breathed, and it's given to us in this dynamic way. Peter describes this in his second letter. He says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love 
With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And above all, Peter says, the most important thing, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. The prophets were not making stuff up. They were not saying the things that occurred to them would be interesting or nifty or cool or, or would please people. Prophecy, he says, never had its origin in the will of man, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The the Bible is a human creation in that it was written and spoken by people but it is a divine creation in that it was inspired by God. And God is the one who inspired those human beings who wrote and who spoke. And yes, there were times when God says, okay, tell them this. And there was this sort of a dictation. But more often what you have is, as Heschel puts it, the word of God reverberating in the voice of man. It's an intense experience to be a prophet, and it's a pretty unpopular one. The prophets had it rough. You may remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Don't think I've come to abolish Torah or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But he says something about prophets before that. His final beatitude, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's plenty of persecution. You look back in, in Jeremiah chapter 7. This is, this, is God, <laughs> this is God's pep talk for Jeremiah. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord, its God, or responded to correction. This is your job. You're going to go talk to people, and they're not going to listen to you, and they're not going to want to hear a thing they say. Go get them. You have this other story later on in in Jeremiah 36. Anybody who has ever written a long, whether it's a, a long paper or a thesis or dissertation or something, this is just going to, this would, it just makes you cringe when you read this. The first, fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came from, to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you considering is, concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. That's chapter 36, so this took Jeremiah a while. Perhaps when the people of Judah Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way, and then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah, called Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words Yahweh had spoken to them, Baruch wrote them down on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, look, 
I'm restricted. I'm PNG in the temple complex. I can't go to Yahweh's temple. So you go to the house of Yahweh on a day of fasting, and you read the people, read to the people from the scroll the words of Yahweh that you wrote as I dictated them. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns, at which Baruch is thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. They love it when Jeremiah says these things. He can't even be in the temple anymore. Now what are they going to do to me? Well, Jeremiah says, perhaps they'll bring their petition before Yahweh, and each will turn from his wicked ways. And the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by Yahweh are great. So Baruch did everything that Jeremiah told him to do at the Yahweh's temple. They, he read the words of Yahweh from the scroll. And in the, time, in the ninth month of the fifth year, Jehoiakim, a time of fasting before Yahweh was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and for those who had come from the towns of Judah. And, and there Baruch read to all the people at Yahweh's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. So this actually ends up getting some response. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, you know him, heard all the words of Yahweh from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting. And after Micaiah told them everything he'd heard, Baruch read to the people from the scroll. Then they all said, well, let's send somebody to say to, to Baruch, bring that scroll from which we read to the people and come. So Baruch went to them and they said to him, sit down, please read it to us. So he read it to them. And when they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear. And they said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. And they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. <laughs> and then the officials said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah go and hide. Don't let anybody know where you are. Because we're struck with fear and awe, the king may not have quite the same reaction. Well, after they put the scroll in the room of the secretary, they went to the king, reported everything to him, and the king sent somebody to get the scroll who brought it. And it was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. And whenever the guy, Yehudi, the, I mean, imagine this is your job. You have to read this massively long scroll to the king who does not like what you're saying. Whenever he'd read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll, again, 35 chapters to this point, was burned in the fire. Did, did you ever lose a document because you forgot to save? And the king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear. They didn't tear their clothes. And after the king burned the scroll... The word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll. Jeremiah's like, really? And Baruch's like, really? i got to write this again. And tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what Yahweh says. You burned that scroll and you said, why'd you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Well, Therefore, this is what Yahweh says about that king. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I'll punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I'll bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I've pronounced against them because they haven't listened. This is the same guy who later on gets dumped in a cistern and left for dead in the mud. It was hard 
to be a prophet. You face opposition, you face persecution, because the message you have is not a popular one. And the prophets also had it tough because God would tell them to do some weird things, like really weird things. You remember fondly, I'm sure, our Ezekiel series, when he tells Ezekiel, now, take a clay tablet, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it, erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. And then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. At this point, you think, where am I, at the Visionary Art Museum? It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself. You're to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I've assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the house of Israel. And as we talked about, he probably couldn't literally have lay on his side unmoving for 390 days because he would have gotten infected. Uh, This was probably like a a symbolic action that he would take during rush hour as people were, were going by him to the wetlands reclamation project where they had been assigned by Babylon's king. Wetlands Reclamation Project is a polite way of saying they got to fill in a swamp. And then after this, you have to turn on your right side and lie there for 40 days. And then take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. And you're to eat it during these days that you lie on your side. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. And also measure out a sixth of a hint of water and drink it at set times. If you go down to Trader Joe's, you can buy Ezekiel bread. Somebody has is, is applied a literalist hermeneutic to this verse from Ezekiel and is using this as a recipe. I'm guessing they didn't use it all the way because in the next verse, God says, eat the food as you would a barley cake, bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. And Yahweh said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, now wait a minute. Okay, this is where I draw the line, Yahweh. I am not going to make this food burning a fire of human dung. And then God says, all right, fine, you can use cow dung. If you say so. I, I don't know. But God would, God would tell his prophets to do some weird things. God would also tell his prophets to do some things that really were not at all natural. In fact, he would tell them to not do things that would naturally occur to any ordinary human being. It almost seems cruel. Later on, God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, with one blow I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Don't mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food. I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening my wife died. The next morning, I did as I had been commanded. The people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? So I said to them, the word of Yahweh came to me, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord Yahweh says, I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. 
The sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. And you'll do as I've done. You won't cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food. You'll keep your turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You won't mourn or weep, but you'll waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be a sign to you. You'll do just as he's done. When this happens, you'll know that I am the Lord Yahweh. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, their sons and daughters as well, on that day a fugitive will come to tell you the news that time your mouth will be opened. You'll speak with them and you'll no longer be silent. So you'll be assigned to them and they will know that I'm Yahweh. Ezekiel's like, well, lucky me. It's hard. Because God not only would tell his people to do weird things, not only would he tell them to do unnatural things, but as indeed we saw with Ezekiel, he would tell people to do detestable things, things they couldn't imagine doing. As a result of that, as we'll talk about next week, some people will say that this marriage of Hosea's was simply allegorical, that God would never actually tell his prophet to marry a loose woman. Whenever people begin their interpretation of Scripture with, God would never do X, Y, and Z. Be very, very careful. Because frankly, the story of Scripture is God doing exactly the thing people never figured that they would do. He's constantly surprising people. And we see this over and over again, especially in the life of Jesus. He keeps saying things that people are flabbergasted at. They are absolutely thrown off their game when he says stuff, and then the choice for them is, all right, are you going to be offended? Are you going to be outraged? Are you going to be upset? Are you going to be disappointed? Or are you going to embrace this new reality that's been brought to you? Because, remember, the prophets didn't make this stuff up. They didn't speak from their own will, their own ideas. Prophecy didn't have its origin. Peter says, in the will of man. But these prophets and these apostles spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And in Hosea's case, this process of speaking from God as they were carried along by the Spirit involved being called to take to himself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from Yahweh. So we have that to look forward to next week. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your prophets who have faithfully brought your word to your people. We thank you for your apostles who faithfully bore witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your spirit who inspired them and who carried them along, who gave to them the word that your people needed to hear. We thank you 
We thank you for their faithfulness and suffering because bringing this word brought them great pain, brought them great persecution, in many cases brought them horrible deaths. But we thank you for the word that you have given us through them. And we pray that we would be people who, when we are astonished by what we read and what we hear, pray we would not be people who get our back up, who choose to be offended, but rather that we would be amazed and we would marvel and that we would respond faithfully to what you have spoken. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you by the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And may the blessings of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.